This podcast is sponsored by ReformationSites.com, church websites for a modern Reformation. Listen for a special May offer at the conclusion of today's program. Those are the three things I mentioned. The five solos and all their implications, the centrality of the covenant in God's saving purposes, and then expressed in a historic and public confession of faith. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I am Jonathan Master, joined as always by my co-host and good friend, James Dolezal. And James, normally at this point, we talk about how uh, glad we are that the guest is coming on. Usually we're able to interview friends or, or or guys we admire who've written something that we think is is significant and worth passing on to our listeners. But today, by contrast, you're interviewing me. So I'm handing the microphone over to you. And I'm going to just quickly say uh, that I'm glad to be interviewing you. Um, just as glad as I am to be interviewing our friends. So yeah, I get, I get to sit behind the big mic today and uh, you're, you're in the hot seat, but that's because you've written a recent book, Reform Theology, um, which is a big title, um, uh, but the book could fit in your pocket almost. Um, so this is in the, in the series uh, by PNR Publishing, uh, Blessings of the Faith series, and yours, I think, is the most recent installment uh, in the series, Reformed Theology. So uh, I just want to talk for a few minutes about what what readers can expect and then what this book uniquely can do, because there are so many books and intros to Reformed Theology. Um, where does yours fit in the uh, in the galaxy of such books? And maybe we could just start with that. What are you, what are you after uh, in this book? Yeah, there are a couple of things that I was aiming to do. You're right. It's a very short book. And that was one of the aims was to write something that was, I hope, clear and 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 short, accessible, that provides an introduction to what we mean when we talk about reform theology and why it's a blessing, why the categories that reform theology um, it, it emphasizes are very important categories. In fact, necessary categories for us to understand the scriptures and understand our relationship with the Lord. So that was the aim. Now, um, the, the, the first hurdle, the first real challenge was defining reform theology, because as that's, you mentioned, that's where I was going to go next. Yeah. That to me was the big question. And it's a question that I deal with in the first chapter, as you know, just to give our, our listeners a little bit of context, as you know, Oftentimes, Reformed theology can be used in a historical sense. It's it's not Lutheran, or or maybe it encompasses Lutheranism. And some people think it's, it's Protestant theology. So you can go broad Protestant theology. You can go a little narrower, non-Lutheran Protestant theology. Oftentimes, I find in our in our discourse today in the church. What people mean by it is simply Calvinism, or maybe the five points of Calvinism, or maybe they even just mean predestination. And if I believe in predestination, I'm reformed. Uh, certainly, if I'm a five-point Calvinist, I'm reformed. So definition is tricky, and and it's all over the map. So when people ask you, are you reformed, or this guy's reformed, or this church is reformed, it's really hard to know exactly what's meant by that like I said, it means something in the in the historical guild. It means something else, depending on your church situation. So here's what I here's what I, I just how have you how have you finally settled once well, and for all? 
here's what I say in in, in the book, and and this is you know, we can, you can certainly poke holes in this, but I can walk you through why I settled on this. Here, here's what I said: it, it's form theology is a theology that affirms the five solas, and those are later, but I think they they uh, do a good job of of encompassing the central uh, truths of the Reformation. The five solas and all their implications, and particularly I draw out the implication for worship. That's one. Two, it recognizes the centrality of the covenant in God's saving purposes. So it's covenant theology. And thirdly, is expressed in a historic and public confession of faith. So I'm trying to tie it into a historical stream there. So those are the three things I mentioned. The five souls and all their implications, the centrality of the covenant in God's saving purposes, and then expressed in a historic and public confession of faith. That's where I land, and and that's then what I try to expand upon in the remainder of the book, why each of those features is important to the definition, and why I think that fairly uh, summarizes what we mean when we talk about Reformed theology. So let's talk about the the one that you mentioned uh, people often point to, sovereignty of God and salvation. Um, and that, and that especially, cause you deal with that in the book, uh, in a specific, uh, chapter. Uh, so what, so what is a particular, and I'm thinking here, we, we do stand downstream as reformed people from someone like Augustine, who in his theology of grace over against Pelagianism articulates a strong, strong doctrine of predestination. How do we, how do we stand with regard to that tradition, its theology, um, and then maybe over against other Lutheran, Arminian, tried, you know, uh, Catholicism after the Council of Trent. Where do we even today stand in distinction, maybe to others? When it comes to the doctrine of salvation, we are, as you said, firmly in the Augustinian stream. Uh, and and what that means, and the way I expressed it, and again, this this gets us back to the question of definition. The way I expressed it is, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So that's where three of the five solas, and in a sense, all five of the solas and the implications of those come into play. So what I believe is biblical, what the Bible teaches, and what Reformed theology asserts is that our salvation is solely a result of the grace of God, that we are by nature corrupt, and even our will is infected with that corruption because of the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And so we're corrupted by sin in a in a way that that encompasses all of our faculties. And, and therefore, we're entirely dependent and in need of the grace of God, not just for our lives, although certainly for our lives, but but more particularly for our salvation, so that God is the one who initiates, God is the one who acts, it's God the Holy Spirit who needs to use his word to open our eyes in order that we might be saved. And so it is entirely gracious. What sets it apart from some uh, later expressions, later medieval expressions, the Roman Catholic expression of the faith as it's, as it's, um, as it's uh, codified in the Council of Trent is that it's through faith alone. And that's why the solos are important. The alones are important. It's only God's grace, and it's through faith alone. Faith is the alone instrument of our justification before God. So those, I think, are the two 
really key distinguishing features. And as you said, those are Augustinian in their origin, particularly the fact that it's through great by grace alone. That is a that is a key pillar of Augustine's theology, and we we celebrate that uh, in Reformed theology as well. And that that's often uh, the the gateway doctrine. Uh, it seems to me, maybe to you as well, by which people come into some expression of the Reformed faith. Now, they were sort of born and bred outside of it, um, or new converts. Uh, they find their way in usually by that recognition. Was that does that sound right? Yes, no, and I think that's right. And and as I mentioned at the beginning, I think a lot of times when people talk about themselves or others being reformed, that's what they mean. Salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. Something so about what, the doctrine well, of election might be in there as well. So that's a gateway uh, doctrine that is distinctive. But is there more? Uh, you have another chapter on covenants, uh, and maybe you could say a few words about how covenants factor. It without you know, and I'm I know you well enough, and you're a fine historian. You're not going to sort of sandwich this down into a monochromatic reformed understanding of covenants. The reformed themselves have have great debates and dialogues on this. But what is the superstructure, I guess, that holds even that those disagreements together inside of a a particular kind of outlook on covenants? Well, let me answer that, but then let me first just pick up on something you said earlier in the question that I think is so important. When Calvin writes about the necessity of a reformation, he mentions two things. First, he says the worship of God, the appropriate biblical worship of God had been lost and needed to be recovered. And then second, we're recovering the biblical doctrine of how man is reconciled to God. In other words, justification by faith alone. So that worship component is always a, a key feature of Reformed theology that I think sometimes in our discussions today gets lost. So that I include under the the solas and the implications of the solas, but that cannot uh, that that can't be missed. You're right that the gateway for many people into a deeper understanding of Reformed theology is soteriology, the doctrine of how we're made right with God through Jesus Christ, but. I think for the reformers and the Reformation stream, worship is of critical and central importance as well. Now, with the covenants, you're right. There, there have been many debates among those who all would consider to be reformed uh, about the nature of the covenants and how that plays out today. But the central feature is this, that we have a whole Bible understanding of our lives as believers, that we're, we, we see the whole scriptures as teaching us about the people of God, and that the covenants um, provide the superstructure, the, the skeleton, the, the, the bones of, of how God reveals his his work of salvation through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the covenants become key markers. And because they're key markers, uh, showing us and revealing to us the nature of God's work in salvation, they also help us understand how it is that we are related to God as people who are saved by Jesus Christ. And so they they provide us with an understanding of our own identity today. Uh, and, but but also an understanding of how the Bible unfolds God's work in redemption. I wanted to circle back to uh, something that you interjected kind of in between uh, my questions on reform worship, and maybe we can 
kind of round out with a thought on this. Um, two things about it. Well, maybe I should frame this at the end of your book. Uh, there's like other books in this series, uh, there's a set of questions, short questions with a couple paragraphs or few paragraphs and answer to each one. One of the ones that you bring up is on reformed worship and even the, um, for those who are coming from a very low church worship, reform worship can almost seem like maybe it's trending toward Rome or something like that in its use of in its use of ecumenical creeds and things that would be more uh, familiar in a more liturgical tradition. Um, what is what is distinctive about reformed worship? And what does maybe, and you could distinguish it on two sides. How is it distinguished from, and I'm going to put these together just for this point, Lutheran and Catholic uh, on the one side, and a kind of radical anti liturgical position uh, on the other side. Uh, and maybe you can, if do, do we fit somewhere in there distinctly? It's a great question. And, and as I said, it gets right to the heart of what Reformed theology is about. I think the basic thing to understand is this, that Reformed uh, worship it recognizes that the Bible teaches us how we must approach God in, in worship. And because it teaches us how we must approach God, we have to follow the commands of Scripture and the examples of Scripture and and not do anything that's not laid out for us in Scripture. So on the one hand, and this is the distinguishing mark from Roman Catholicism and most expressions, most Lutheran expressions, the Bible alone gives us the guidelines for worship. And so it's not just that we're saying, oh, if the Bible doesn't for if the Bible doesn't forbid it, we can do it. We're saying, no, we want to look to the scriptures and have God teach us how to approach him in worship. On the other side, I think that also obtains because on the other side, we want to say the things that God has commanded us to do, we must do in worship. So we we aren't free to simply just say, what do we like to do? What seems to work for us and, and to ignore other aspects. So the public reading of scripture, public prayer, these are things that in a lot of evangelical churches are ignored today, but they're actually commanded in scripture as part of our approach to God in worship. The other thing that I think distinguishes it on the on the side of those who who might um, uh, be a little more loose or, or like you said, low church, uh, is that is that the Bible in its prescriptions on worship also says we worship God in reverence and awe, and so there is a there is a sobriety and and a simplicity to reformed worship because it is governed by scripture sobriety because we're approaching God and simplicity because we're approaching God in the in the way, the manner, and and that that he has prescribed for us to approach him. So it's a beautiful thing. It's a biblical thing, but it does stand out. And depending on which side of the of the fence, so to speak, you're coming from, it may hit you in different ways. But at its essence, that's what it is. The other thing I'll say about reformed worship, and I mentioned this in the Q and A at the end, is it's dialogical. We're responding to God. So if you notice in a reformed worship service. God gets the first word. We're called to worship by him from his word. And God gets the last word. We're given a benediction or a blessing by him from his word. And in between, at the, the center point of the service, we're hearing from God's word as it's preached to us. So everything is a kind of back and forth. God speaks in his word because that's how God speaks to us. 
And then we respond in praise or in prayer or in confession or in, in adoration of him. That's an excellent summary of reformed worship. And uh, with that, I'll bring us to a close in our discussion. Jonathan, uh, thank you for writing this book. And uh, I'm I'm hopeful that it will be helpful, especially to a lot of people who are either new to the reformed faith or are wanting to help others uh, be new to the reformed faith uh, to hand it out. So thank you for writing this book. Oh, no problem. And it's it's a joy to be with you. I I, I pray that the, the book will be useful. I uh, it was it was helpful to me to have to clarify these things and and simplify them even for my own uh, um, my own ministry. Well, we'd love to give listeners an opportunity to win a copy of the book. Uh, if you want to do that, go to placefortruth.org, click on the Theology on the Go link. There'll be an opportunity to enter uh, information to win a copy of Dr. Master's new book, Reform Theology. And um, as always, we're thankful for our listeners. We're glad to receive uh, any feedback from you that you would send our way as we're constantly trying to improve the podcast. Um, Also, if you could give to the work of the Alliance, we'd be grateful for that as well. This is a a ministry that operates entirely on donations. There are many people uh, who work behind the scenes to make uh, different things possible, um, events, websites, even even the podcasts uh, that the Alliance puts out, um, all have people working hard to do that. If you could go to AllianceNet.org, look in the upper right-hand corner uh, for a donate button. Uh, We'd be grateful for any help uh, that you could give to the ministry. And uh, on behalf of Jonathan and myself, thank you for tuning in to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Did you know that most people view a church's website before they'll ever step foot in the door? So how's your church's site? Would an online visitor searching for a church home find it inviting? Does it reflect your ministry as it should? Perhaps it's time to start a new site for your church that reaches out more effectively with a design that engages visitors while keeping members connected. Reformation Sites has beautiful, mobile-ready designs to choose from helpful service, and useful features such as sermon manager, online bulletins, ministries, books, and notifications. It also integrates with other popular services like sermon audio, live streaming, and online giving with pricing that fits into any church budget. In the month of May, we're offering 15% off the website setup fee. Get started by using coupon code RS15 when you go to reformationsites.com. Reformation Sites, church websites for a modern reformation.